Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Field, that one's called to the right. Hunter on the move, racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. This is Red Sox beat on CLNS. I think it would be a big statement if John Farrell started Travis Shaw on opening day, and I'd be totally cool with it because I think it would. It, it, if that doesn't give Sandoval motivation to, to play better defense and play better, period, nothing will. I think they're going to make Jeter that first unanimous vote, and I hate that about baseball writers. If you belong in the Hall of Fame, you get voted in the Hall of Fame. Achievement or a new milestone. So don't just be like, hey, we, we signed this player, we're going to have a ceremony. No, no. Like. Now, to your hosts. All right, Red Sox beat CLNS Media here, of course, on Twitter at CLNS Media, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage of all New England professional sports. On Facebook as well as just search CLNS Media, you will find it. The new website is coming soon. Branded CLNS Media, very exciting. Of course, don't forget the free mobile podcast app as well. You search CLNS, iOS, Android, whatever it may be. Find all the network's great shows, including ourselves. Uh, and you'll be able to find us on Twitter, of course, at Red Sox underscore Beat. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. Um, Red Sox are in a virtual tie for first, I guess. Percentage points, they're not in first place. Um, coming into the show, and, you know, a good week-ish week for the Red Sox. A lot of things happened in terms of some signings, some rumors about getting some pitching help. Uh, it was a down week, I guess, that some things successfully happened. But overall, it wasn't a great week. Um, but Ortiz's number was retired, so he can't really put a damper on that night, even though they did win, thank God, that night. If they didn't win that night, holy help me. Um, but we can bring the t- other two nut jobs into it, uh, Lauren Campbell and Jess Thomas, both here. The gang is all here this week. What's going on, guys? Another week and another another solid week of baseball, I think, and um, the David Ortiz ceremony kind of capped off the week in general, even though they had two bad losses after it, but overall, good week. I don't think you should call us nut jobs. I think we deserve better than that. I mean, I'm a nut job too. I just accept it. So I'm a, well, I'm a little nutty. So yeah, she, yeah. So Jess, just accept it. You're a little nutty. Lauren and I are very nutty. Lauren, you're very nutty. I'm sorry, but Jess, you're little. You're a little nutty sometimes. Am I the least nutty of the show? I you are. I, I agree that you definitely are the least nutty. Wow, what an honor. Okay, well, let's um, let's let the least nutty person here uh, take us through the week. Take us through the venture of what this week was. Um, and we'll talk about it. There's some things we want to get to with people who we sign, some rumors about Sonny Gray, and I can't wait to talk about that. But let's let Jess do his thing, and let's, let's get cut up on the week. Let's do our thing. All right. Um, yeah. Not as good of a week as me and Jared wanted it to be, predicted it to be. Sad. <laughs> I predicted 5-1, and one, Jared predicted 4-2, and two, and it was 2-4, and four, unfortunately. <laughs> so that didn't work out too well. We'll start with Tuesday, and by Tuesday I mean Monday. And that was against the Kansas City Royals, and the start of a three-game series, and the Royals won 4-2. to two. This game was tough because it was tied up until the bottom of the seventh inning, and then the Royals notched two runs and got their 4-2 lead. Uh, the only Red Sox offense in this game was a Jackie Bradley Jr. two-run homer, which was annoying because the team got ten hits but only two runs. So... The offense did not get it done in terms of run producing. Uh, hit-wise, good. Jackie had three hits. Hanley, Xander, and Benintendi all had two hits apiece in this game. But against Jason Hamill, 
They could just get the two runs. Seven hits, four strikeouts for him in seven innings. Uh, Hector Velasquez got the start in this game, and he was good, actually. He gave up five hits and two runs in five and a third innings with three strikeouts. Uh, Blaine Boyer was the one who blew this game. But interesting enough in this game, I feel like, was that Velasquez pitched well, and it's his second second good outing in a row because he pitched three and a third innings of relief his last outing. But as we'll find out later in the week, it still wasn't good enough because he obviously isn't pitching anymore as Doug Fister is. So does that surprise you guys that he pitched two games in a row but still wasn't good enough to stick around? Not really. I mean, nothing really surprises me with this team at this point, especially with Dave Dombrowski, you know, making the all, calling all the shots and everything. And, you know, now that we have Fister in this rotation, I mean, I know, you know, you have other options. You know, you have Brian Johnson and who pitched the game of his life and then got demoted. So, not, like I said, nothing really surprises me anymore. Yeah, I don't think it does surprise me. One, because like Lauren said, nothing surprises us at this point with this team. But at the same time, Dombrowski's about veterans and guys who have proven it. And look, Fister won the Cy Young, I believe it was when he was with Detroit. So, you know, Fister had an opportunity to get put back with Dombrowski. Dombrowski knows what he can do. He took it and got him off waivers. And then uh, he's bringing other guys in too. And we'll talk about that after. But, you know, it's at the point where the veterans are going to work out. He's adding to this team to win this year and to win now. And that's what he does. And he'll leave a team when he's done building for now. But I'm not surprised at all that he's not going with the other guys because Fister was available and Fister was used to be one of his guys. Fister definitely did not win a Cy Young. Didn't he? But I could have sworn he did. Try. No, he was eighth in 2014, and that's the closest he got. Why not? Why did I see somewhere that he, I'm? I'm stupid then. I thought I could have sworn. I don't, I don't remember when he pitched with the Tigers. I don't remember watching that year, but why? Yeah, that was with, that was with the Nationals. He was 16 and six with a 241 in 2014, which is really good. But that's the year good I was enough, thinking. I that's the year I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Not Cy Young, but very solid, yeah. I sworn definitely. He won one. So. I'm yeah. stupid. Don't uh, mind me. I'm a nut. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that was that game. Uh, tough loss there to start off the week because it was obviously a very winnable game with many base runners and just unable to push them home, uh, which brought us into our next game here on Tuesday. This one was a little bit better, and uh, it was an 8-3 to win over the Royals. And this one... More hits again, 13 hits for the Red Sox. Fortunately, only four for the Royals, so this one was an excellent win. This was started by Chris Sale against Matt Strom, and the Sox jumped all over Strom, especially in the fourth inning. Uh, it was tied 1-1 to going into the fourth, and then it was extra base hit City. Sam Travis, after being promoted, hit an RBI double to make it 2-1, to and Sandy Leone at the big hit to make it 4-1, to a 2-RBI double. And then Marrero hit a sack fly to make it 5-1. It got worse in the 6th. Chris Young hit an RBI double, another double. Uh, and then Xander Bogarts hit a 2-RBI single, and it was 8-1 to at that point. Um, the Sox hit four doubles in the game, which was good. Uh, and then Sale gave up a home run in the ninth inning to Jorge Bonifacio, a two-run homer, and then he was taken out. He was going for the complete game, but he ended up pitching eight and a third innings, four hits, three runs, one walk, ten strikeouts, and obviously before the the last inning, he had only given up two hits and one run. So, dominant game by Sale. Excellent offense in this game. Three hits for Chris Young out of the two-hole. Um, two hits for Bogarts again, two for Leone, two for Marrero. So, Unlike the first game where there were a lot of hits and not many runs, this one had plenty of runs and another Chris Sale domination. It's always nice to hear that, like when Chris <laughs> Sale pitches, and it's just you hear it a lot. You hear it all the time, and it's almost like even if they lose, it's guaranteed that he's still pitched well. So, I mean, it was nice to see Chris Young produce, and it was just nice to see Chris Sale just keep on rolling. Like this, obviously, isn't an act. He's obviously a very good pitcher, so. Overall, a very good game. Yeah, and I'm very happy to see Sale, you know, consistently. You're not surprised by Sale, and the offense came and scored for him again. So um, this this is just overall a game where you can't complain. Sandy Leone is starting to hit again, uh, which is nice to see. And it seems like whenever we start to write him off, he picks it up again, which is nice because you want to battle at every position if you can. You want guys to force themselves into the lineup. So that's good. Um, I think overall just a, it's kind of a successful win for the Red Sox and giving their ace some run support. 
Yeah, I really wanted Sale to get a complete game in this game, and he was obviously frustrated he wasn't able to, but he gave up the home run, he'd thrown 110 pitches, so probably the right move. Abad came in, got the last two outs, so good game here. Excellent bounce back after the loss on Monday. Unfortunately, on Wednesday, it was another loss, and this game was even more winnable than the first game because it really should have been a win. It was a 6-4 loss to the Royals, and the Royals scored four of those six runs on one swing of the bat. In the eighth inning, this was the afternoon game on Wednesday, the 2-15 start. Uh, Kansas City got up 2 to nothing in the first three innings, uh, and then the homer balls got the Sox back into it. Benintendi hit a home run in the fourth, and then Xander Bogarts went back-to-back with him with his home run of his own to tie it at two. And then the Sox took the lead the next inning in the fifth. Mookie Betts sack fly, and then Devin Marrero scored on a on an error by Chesler Cuthbert. And it was 4-2 to two, all the way up into the eighth inning. Uh, the game was started by Drew Pomerantz. He was very good. He gave up two runs in six and a third innings. He's been getting deeper into the games, which has been people's complaint for the most part for him, and he's been doing better with that. He had five strikeouts. And then, unfortunately, the bullpen came in and stunk up the joint. Uh, Salvador Perez hit a grand slam in the bottom of the eighth inning. And this was off several relievers. Um... Matt Barnes started the inning and walked two guys. And then Robbie Scott came in, and he walked a guy. And then Heath Hembry came in and gave up the grand slam. So it was pretty ugly. Actually, Robbie Scott gave up two hits, too. So a lot of a lot of bad there. Um, this was just ugly. It should have been a win. I mean, the Sox didn't get any hits and only got five. But when you're up 4-2 in the eighth inning, you want to get the W, unfortunately. They were not able to do that. Can't complain too much with the bullpen because the bullpen's been absolutely fantastic this year, but not in this game. Yeah, and no. I know this, this was the hotbed too. I remember, uh, Lauren, in the roundtable uh, the night of this game, we talked about this, and I don't as much question Craig Kimbrell not pitching in the pitching in the eighth inning. Um, you heard that a lot. Uh, why didn't he just pitch the eighth and not the ninth? Well, you know, sometimes you got to – the ownership wants to protect their investment, basically as far as I'll go with that. But – you know, I'm more of a concern of why, you know, why didn't you just leave Joe Kelly in? And Joe Kelly was pitching well, and, you know, I understand maybe you have your guys who you want to be the eighth inning guy, but when you have a guy in Joe Kelly who threw, what, 14 pitches, whatever it was, and is doing right, well, yeah. yeah, two outs, used to be a starter, you know he can handle that much, like, wear and tear on his arm. Why not let him in? If worst case scenario, you got someone in the bullpen in case he stinks up the joint the first couple of batters, but at least let him go back out there because he probably would have been fine and he would have got through the eighth at least a little bit better and then you would have thrown Kimball the ninth. It's just, I, that's the decision that baffled me in this game. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a team effort by the bullpen that kind of blew this game. But, you know, Jess, like you said, it, the bullpen's been fantastic this year. So it sucks that they kind of imploded and that, you know, two hits there, little hits there, and next thing you know, we're down by two instead of up. So... It's definitely very frustrating, but I mean, I don't, I hate questioning, you know, why Kimberl didn't go in, but like, I don't understand why he wouldn't when you have the situation that you did. Like, I get he's your ninth inning closure, he's your closer, I get it, but sometimes there's just got to be times where you need to, to put him in to get four, maybe five outs. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't need him in the eighth, but obviously... (laughs) <laughs> they did at this point. And uh, one error I made there, uh, the Grand Slam was off Robbie Scott, not Heath Henry. Henry came in after the Grand Slam and then actually got three outs. So he did the, the Craig Kimball role there instead of instead of Kimball. So Scott blew this one. So, yeah, I mean, how many guys do you need to have to blow the game? It's like <laughs> it's, he had so many pitchers pitching that inning, and then obviously none of them were Kimball. But, yeah, I think you nailed it, Jared. Joe Kelly, 13 pitches, two, two-thirds of an inning. I mean, Obviously, you want obviously him and Matt Barnes have both been eighth inning guys, but Barnes didn't have it. Give up the walks. Scott didn't have it. So I mean, at a certain point, you gotta bring in your best pitchers. But overall, I think you can't complain that much because the bullpen's had one of the best ERAs in the league all season long, and one game's not going to change that. It just happened to come at a really bad time, and that's unfortunately what happens with the bullpen. Any bullpen, <laughs> really, not just the yeah. rest, any any bullpen. If they're gonna blow a game, it's gonna be bad because. That's when you're trying to get outs to win games. So, oh well. Lost two out of three in that series. Uh, They had a nice day to think about it on Thursday before David Ortiz's retirement ceremony, um, number of retirement ceremony. 
there was the David Ortiz roast on Thursday night, and obviously this this was not uh, broadcast anywhere. It was going to be broadcast on Nesson. It was not because it was very not PG thirteen. Uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you guys, I watched a couple clips from it at work. It was hilarious. Please tell me you watched the one where, where Dustin Pedroia was talking about how he Ortiz thought his name was Pee Wee. Please yep. tell me you guys have watched that. Yeah, I recorded it on my phone. Yeah. Um, I watched it even tonight at work, and I was still laughing. Where it's just like, you thought my parents would name me Pee Wee? Like, <laughs> what did that guy call you? Uh, Dustin? Why'd he call you that? Because uh, it's my name? <laughs> God, it was funny. And then he told the story, too. I don't know if you guys probably didn't see this part, but after that, he told a story about. Um, when Ortiz smashed the phone, when Pudrovar was standing right next to him, and he was just talking about how he was the smallest guy, calming down the, the tallest guy, and how he didn't like that because he doesn't like being known as the short guy. And he yeah. said that <laughs> Tori Lovello crapped his pants. Well, he didn't say craft, but because uh, he was sitting right next to there too, and and uh, so that was that was pretty funny hearing him talk about that too, because he was totally caught off guard. He thought someone was shooting up the place. He said, what, is somebody, sh- somebody shooting? I'm like, oh, no, it's just Ortiz destroying a phone next to my head. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really funny. So I love hearing Pedroia talk anytime about anything. <laughs> definitely so, doesn't hide the filter. He definitely has no filter, that's for sure. No. no Which is funny because he, he does when he's talking like the media and stuff. So when he's unfiltered, it's absolutely hilarious. It's even, it's even more of a present when he is unfiltered because when he isn't, it's fantastic. Yeah, he's great. I love Pedroia. He's the man. So that was really funny. So that was on Thursday. That, <laughs> that's what happened on Thursday in Red Sox world. Not a game, but the roast. Uh, and then the good stuff on Friday, Ortiz's number was retired, number 34. I know Lauren was there. Uh, so I guess what's the point of me talking about it when you could just talk about it since you were there? So talk about it. Was, it. I mean, it was amazing. Like Everyone, you know, they tell you to be in your seat at 6.30. 6.15, I started like making my way to my seat, and the place was already packed, so... Obviously, everybody who was who had tickets to this game wanted to be there as early as possible. Um, the tribute was great. The video tribute was awesome. You know, hearing mashups from like Orsillo, Castiglione. Um, it was just everyone. There were tears everywhere. Everyone was crying. Everyone was happy, and it was just it was a really good ceremony. The only thing is, is that Ortiz forgot to announce he was coming back. That's the only thing that kind of sucked <laughs> about the ceremony, but. I mean, it was it, it was really well done. It wasn't over the top, you know. It wasn't crazy or anything. It, it was it was perfect. And like I said, the whole atmosphere there it was they were just all about Ortiz, and it was just such a perfect perfect night for for it. And then of course the whole win, which just we'll get into, which just made it even better. But it was just such a fun night all around. Jared, you hate ceremonies. Thoughts? <sighs> <laughs> this is gonna come up. Um... I can't remember this kind of ceremony. I love the Pedro one too. I was at the Pedro one. That was fantastic. Um, these kind of ceremonies I'm okay with because it's not the year long thing. The reason why I hated what happened with Ortiz's year long trot to retirement is because it was every single ballpark they were at. Every single chance he got, he was showered with gifts. Like, he, does he deserve it? Of course he does, but I think it's pointless. Like, give them to him in private. Don't have to, like, flaunt it. Where this is something special. You know, not a lot of numbers get retired at Fenway Park. It's, we're not the Yankees, right? It's, it's a very select few. I think if they're getting a little more lenient, retiring Boggs' number. But that being said, um, it's a pretty select group, whereas the Yankees retire all their single digits and no one can wear anything below 10 at this point. So I, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I loved it. And Pedroia's comments were great. You know, I, I'm sure Lauren was bawling when Pedroia said something about um, family. It's, you're always family, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sure, Lauren, you were in tears. Oh God! He was like, "You're not our friend. You're not our teammate. You're our family, and that's what we like love you for." And I was like, "Oh boy!" Like that, that, that hit, that hit hard. Like that hit, hit hard. He's hard too. Yeah. Oh my God! And it's awful because, like, you know, we were out in the bleachers, but we could see the jumbotron perfectly. So just to see like Ortiz up close, like crying, it's like I'm not crying. You're crying. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, that was a great moment. Yeah, honestly, like you said, Lauren, it it didn't. It was not like over the top or anything. It was like it was pretty low key for their ceremonies. And I, I mean, obviously, it's there's been a lot done for him recently. And obviously, retiring his number the year after he retires, that never happens. That's the first time that's happened. 
for the team as well. So I guess it's kind of just like another notch on the belt. But it was was pretty low key, but it was well done. I mean, it was it was what you want. It was good. It was emotional, and now it's thirty fourth out there forever. Well, they did so much last year. Like right. I don't know what else you could do <laughs> besides put the guy's number up there, let some people talk, and then move on and play the game, which they won, which is fantastic. But like you can only do so much. Right, you can only say the same things over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so many times. So. And then they played and they actually won, which is very happy. If they lost after that, oof. Yeah, so we'll get to that. Uh, 9-4 to win over the Angels. The Angels were in town here after that road trip was over, finally. Eight-game road trip, 4-4 four and four on the trip. Uh, and this game was good because Ortiz got retired and then three runs in the first inning for the Sox right away. Alex Meyer, 6-9, dude for the Angels was really bad to start. Uh, he was all over the place in the first inning. Um, he walked the first two batters of the game, and then Bogarts hit an RBI double, and then Pedroia scored in a wild pitch, and then the next batter, Bogarts scored in a wild pitch. So it was 3 nothing in the first with only one hit. So that was that was pretty solid. Um, the Angels got one run in the fourth inning off Rick Porcello. It was actually an error, so it was an unearned run. Um, San Leone dropped... Andrew Benintendi threw it home, even though Benintendi shouldn't have thrown it because Albert Pujols is about as slow as it gets these days. So that was unfortunate. That was the first Angels run. But one half any later in the bottom of the fourth, Hanley Ramirez blasted a home run around Pesky's pole in right field, 5-1. to one. And then Sandy Leone, as Jared said earlier, really heating up this week. He had a two-run homer in the sixth inning, which was into the bullpen. Uh, and then... Porcello finally cracked in the seventh inning after pitching really well. Gave up a couple hits, a couple extra base hits. Seven to four at that point after Heath Hembry allowed the other run in after Porcello left the game. So he went six and a third, eight hits, four runs, three earned, eight strikeouts, one walk. Uh, and then San Leon decided to push the lead a little bit more just for kicks with a two RBI double in the eighth, make it nine to four. That was your final. So great offense here for, for, uh, David Ortiz's night, and Rick Porcello probably pitched his best game in, you know, a month or so. It was his first win in a month, and funny, he gets run support and he wins. Weird <laughs> how that works, isn't it? Like, yeah, it is. You think he's, he's had five or six games that he hasn't had any run support, so it was definitely nice just to see the, the bats come out and just work for him because he hasn't been pitching terribly this season yes he's had some bad starts but he's had also quality starts where there's just been no runs pushed across the plate so it's super frustrating because we know obviously we know what he's capable of doing so just to see Porcello be Porcello on Friday and to see the bats come alive and just kind of everything just seemed to click in this game so it was just all around like everything we needed to see and especially for Porcello because like you said just they scored runs and he got a win it's been it's been nice. It was nice to see this night because like Porcello has hasn't been what he was, right? He, he's been struggling. We can all admit that. So, um, but that being said, he has had like you guys are talking about a lot of starts where he just hasn't gotten help. So to have it combine combine where you know he's able to pitch pretty consistently and not be completely terrible um, and actually get the run support to go with it. Um, I'm hoping it translates to the next start and he can kind of start to figure this out again. His stuff starts to come back to what it's been in the past, within the last year or so. But, you know, this is a good start for him, being confident enough. And I think getting that run support helped because a lot of times if you're a guy struggling and you don't have the stuff and you're not getting the run support, it puts you into more of a deep spiral of negativity and crap, I can't do this, what am I doing? But having the run support allows you to pitch a little more freely and kind of figure it out on the fly. Yeah, and he... I mean, until the last two batters of his outing, he looked like he did last year. He was getting strikeouts, pinpoint control, only one walk. Yeah. Uh, you know, got through six in the third innings as he did basically every start last year. So he definitely looked like the Porcello of last year, which this team needs because, you know, you always want your better pitchers to pitch well. And he was the best pitcher in the league last year. So encouraging sign there. He's 4-9 and nine now with a 5 ERA. So hopefully we're looking for that to lower a little bit. But this is a great game all around. Brought us into Saturday's game. Not so good in this game. Uh, it was a 6-3 loss to those same pesky Angels that I expected to sweep. So that was frustrating. Uh, J.C. Ramirez was really good in this game for the Angels starting. He went six innings, only gave up one run and four hits. Five strikeouts, no walks. He was really dominant. 
Um, he retired 11 straight in a row in the middle innings before he came out of the game. Uh, the only run the Sox got until the ninth inning of this game was a Mitch Moreland home run. Um, it was 6-1 to one going into the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Sox actually ended up getting two runs and loading the bases for Chris Young to strike out. But the Angels got all the runs before that. Uh, David Price, Price gave up. Three runs, two earned, six hits in six innings, one walk, five strikeouts. Uh, and then Abad didn't pitch very well. Barnes didn't either. So this game was tough. I mean, it really was never close after the uh, fifth inning. That's when the Angels got some of their runs, playing from behind for pretty much the whole game. And, I mean, really, I mean, J.C. Ramirez is much better than Price. Price pitched pretty well for most of the game. Thankfully, his walks were down because that was a big problem. But... Still, I mean, his pitch count, uh, he threw like 30-something pitches in the first inning, and he threw 103 pitches in six innings, so looking for him to go a little deeper in the game. Don't want to nitpick too much in this game. Um, he pitched pretty well overall, but clearly it wasn't enough because J.C. Ramirez is much better. Yeah, I mean, you said it all right there. You know, he pitched well, but Ramirez was just, was just better. And it was definitely frustrating because – you know, it's the Angels, and they're not doing well, and it's after a really good win the night before, you'd expect so much more the day after, but it just didn't work out that way this this time. It was, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, he, he like you said, he didn't pitch horribly. He just got outpitched, and, and it is frustrating because we've been waiting for him to pitch pretty well, and he did. And um, at this point now, it's it's guy can't catch a break when he does even pitch well. So, um, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing to complain about. It's just he, they, they, the Red Sox couldn't score runs for him. I just still, you don't, you don't have that confidence that you want from a guy who, of his caliber. You just don't have. I think can't we all agree on that? It's just like you don't feel oh, the God, confidence no. yeah. when he starts at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I cringe. I cringe like I used to when Porcello started. Like I don't trust David Price on the mound, and like right. I, I don't think this is going to be. I think July, August, and September he'll turn around. I think he'll be fine at least the second half of the year. After even after the All Star break. Um, because coming back from surgery is not easy, but then again, it comes to the playoffs if they make it or when they make it. I don't trust them then either. So like, it's just this guy doesn't want to be here. Most people don't want him here anymore. I don't know. It's it's becoming a very failed relationship at this point. Sure is. And after the game, he made a bunch of weird comments. It turned out afterwards, he found out that it's he had a cracked fingernail. So he's had a blister, a cracked fingernail. Like, why can't he just be healthy? And it's it's weird, like. Why do you have to come out and make it sound like it was a really bad injury? Like, he was like, oh, it has nothing to do with my elbow, but one thing heals and it's another. It's like one thing after the other. Like, how he worded it. was really it, weird. It was a bit cryptic. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is not promising. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, he had a cracked fingernail. And I'm sure it's painful. I've never had a cracked fingernail, but I'm sure it's painful. But it's like, if it's, if it's not going to bother you, or like, obviously it bothered you in the game, but the fact where it's like, if it's, it just doesn't seem like it's serious enough to just be like, oh, whatever. Like, he could have just said, oh, I just wanted to pull the side really quick. Like, when they when he pulled Willis aside, I'm like, I don't think Carl Willis has Twitter, so I'm not really sure what the hell he's pulling him aside about right now. But <laughs> it's just a cracked fingernail. Like, it just makes him sound like such a pansy. And it just makes me so angry. Just, like, just go out there and pitch. I don't care about your fingernails and your blisters. Like, just just go out there and pitch. Please, just shut up. Just shut up for five minutes. Yeah. Right, and like, the, and the way he said it too, like, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Like, you make it sound so dramatic, like, like so many things are happening, and then oh, it's just a cracked fingernail. Oh, it's nothing to do with my elbow. You get past one thing, there's another. It is what it is. How's the blister? That one's gone. Like, it's just like, just, or you could just say what it is instead of being a weirdo about it. Yeah, like it's like he wants the attention. Of course he does. He's always wanted the attention, but he wants it in a positive way. And and until Red Sox media and fans like are just super nice to him, he's gonna super keep being sarcastic because he doesn't know how to handle any negativity like every market he's been in beforehand it's always been even if it was a tougher market it's not you know like he succeeded in tampa who cares about baseball in tampa like that ballpark's never full in the detroit yeah they were good but like who really cared like the only team that i can think about is toronto and all canadians are nice i'm gonna be stereotypical there like he had never had to face a media market like this or a fan base like this and he can't handle it and maybe if he pitched well, then it wouldn't happen like this. And then he, he'd get the positive attention that he wants. Like, ugh. But he can't understand that 
if he pitches well, people will like him. He just thinks everyone's going to hate him no matter what he does, and they don't care about him and everything. And it's like, you don't know that. You, you He just like acts like he knows everything, and then, oh, he's such a weird guy. It's just so annoying. I wish he was just what he was like four years ago, like good. But maybe it would have been a basket case then too. I don't know. Probably. He was just in easier places, like you guys said. It's It's a shame. You wish he'd just pitch well and you could have confidence in him and he could be your ace-like figure, but he's not, so I guess we'll stop dreaming. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on to Sunday. 4-2 uh, loss here. Another frustrating game with the Angels. Uh, another close one. That's the only thing about this week. A lot of close losses. Could have gone the other way very easily. Uh, this was Doug Fister day. Um, he got his first start for the Red Sox after the team got him off waivers from, funny enough, the Angels. Uh, they didn't <laughs> He was in their minor league system, and he didn't want they didn't want him to be on their major league team. So the Sox said, cool, we'll take him then. And like we said earlier, um, not Cy Young, but he was 16-6 with a 241 ERA. He's had a pretty good career, certainly serviceable, and certainly major league enough. You know, 77 wins, several very good seasons. Uh, he pitched well in this game, too. Six innings, seven hits, three runs, three walks, six strikeouts, through 105 pitches. Uh, certainly very solid for his first start with the team. Unfortunately, the offense couldn't do much against Parker Bridwell. I know who's that, right? Well, didn't matter. Didn't get anything off of him. Um, unfortunately, the Angels got three of their four runs in the, first, uh, in the second inning off of Fister, so got an early hole. Offense couldn't pull him out of it. Mitch Moreland hit a home run. Jackie Bradley hit a home run, but that was it. And then the Angels got a run off. Shocker, I know. Craig Kimbrell in the ninth inning. His ERA is now at a hefty 110. Um so, yeah, I mean, Fister pitched well, but the offense just couldn't give him enough support, and obviously falling behind early in the game didn't help. No, and it sucks because he pitched well, so it's kind of like a Porcello situation where you pitch well and you don't get the run support that you need. But, I mean, it was it was great to see the way he pitched because you don't – I'm really glad I didn't watch him just, like, stink up the place. So it was nice to see – go out there, like, look confident, he had control, he had control of all his pitches, it, it seemed like, so, I mean, I'm looking forward for another start from him, I'd, you know, I wish Brian Johnson was on the mound, but teach their <laughs> own, and that's fine, I'll take Doug Fister, because like, he pitched, like, he pitched really well, it was just, he was outpitched, and, I mean, and the bats just didn't come out for, for this game. When we'll talk more about the actual signing in, in, in a minute here, because I, I love the signing, it's something that was... Um, it made sense and it actually happened. That never actually happens when you hear reports and rumors. But um, that being said, you know, for a first start coming off waivers, hasn't been pitching that well this year. Um, came out and pitched well on a team. And I think being on a good team helps. I think being back in like a winning atmosphere helps a guy like that. And um, overall, you know, he did pitch well. Struggled at the beginning, but he came in, he got comfortable, he pitched well and just wasn't enough to win the game. But uh, I know you love Johnson, and rightfully so. He's been pitching well, but I'm excited to see what Fister does with the second outing in the Red Sox uniform, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely a good move. We won't give away our opinions too much on that, but uh, this was a good good, good outing by him, tough loss, and then I guess we'll talk about um, tonight's game on Monday because it's over already, so we would be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Uh, the start of four-game home series against the Minnesota Twins, and tonight was a very good pitching matchup between Chris Sale and Jose Barrios, which I thought was Barrios until tonight. So Barrios. Barrios. Uh, so I got two runs in the first inning off Barrios, which was good because he's pitched really well this year. He was 7-1 and one with an ERA uh, under three before the game, well under three, still under three even after the game. Um, but Mitch Moreland had a home run, his third straight game with a home run after Bogart's got the first run in with the grounded into double play uh, and then Chris Sale was pitching for the Red Sox and he gave up a home run to Chris Jimenez in the third inning and that was his only run given up the entire game and the Sox didn't get anything more until the seventh inning Dustin Pedroia an RBI single and Mitch Moreland again hit a sack fly and those are all the runs in the game uh, Chris Sale only gave up one run on four hits two walks nine strikeouts and six in the third innings He's now ten and three on the season with a two seventy seven ERA, continuing to bolster his possible starting of the All Star game. Uh, the bullpen was good as usual after that tough game earlier in the week with one a uh, two and two thirds scoreless innings, hitless innings, and walkless innings. So great pitching tonight. Uh, good game to have after losing the last two 
against the Angels and uh, Tzu Wee Lin. I'm not really sure how to say his name. Uh, he got he started his first game of his career after getting promoted from Double A. He started third tonight and he got his first hit also. So all good stuff tonight. Very positive game, and of course, you know, Chris Sale's on the mound, so of, of course it was going to be a good game, and it was nice to bounce back after those two losses, so, and to see, you know, a third baseman who actually, like, looked excited to be out there, not that Rutledge didn't look out there, look good out there or whatever, but it's just, he's a sixth person to start at third base, and I know that we're going to get into it with, you know, Pablo starting his rehab tomorrow and everything, um, but it's just, I mean, third base is probably going to be a giant question mark all year, but it was nice to see something positive tonight from it. And just all around, again, another positive game for the Red Sox. Yeah, and this series, like, and we'll, we'll, we'll predict the rest of the series out later, but um, it's nice to see them win um, and after struggling a little bit. And it's nice to see, um, of course, someone successful at third base. But that being said, there's a lot going on. Rotating door, we'll talk about that in a minute, but... Overall, positive win for the Red Sox, positive um, step in the right direction after losing two tough games in a row. For sure. So that was the week, two and four in our regular sixth game week, and then plus the win tonight here on Monday. Um, There's a lot of different candidates for MVP this week because it was a lot of solid play, like nothing outstanding like, oh, that guy's MVP. That was just a lot of good performances. So I think we're going to give it to uh, Mitch Moreland. We'll include tonight's game. He's hit three home runs in a row in uh, three consecutive games. Uh, and He was struggling earlier in the week. He was in an 0 for 16 hole, and he's very much broken out of that with um, six hits in the last four games, four runs, three homers, and four RBI. So I'm going to give it to Mitch Moreland, and then for pitching we'll give it to Chris Sale because he got two wins, and he's just awesome. Um, but Moreland, honestly, this guy with the broken toe and just consistently playing every game, he he's now up to 12 home runs in the season. Uh, I love this guy. Mitchy two bags. Love it. Mitchy nine toes. Mitchy every bag. Mitchy nine toes. Mitchy all bags. I like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember when we signed this guy and I was kind of like, whoa, we don't really need a first baseman. Like, why are you kind of bringing this guy in? Um, but... I'm I'm so glad we did. He's done everything, and he's just been so good and so solid when you need him to be. And he's just – I mean, I didn't expect him to be playing first base as much as he was, but I'm so glad he is. And obviously he won the gold glove for first base, so we obviously know what he was – what we were getting with him. So I'm so happy just to see him perform and just kind of go above and beyond pretty much everyone's expectations because I was not expecting this guy to be this good this year. No, and I love the fact that, um, you know, Farrell after the game said, like, I'm paraphrasing, basically, like, the rest of the team needs to take note of this guy's condition he's playing under and playing very, very well. Um, He's not healthy. He's not playing at 100% by any means. He's still coming out, homering in multiple games in a row and and doing what he's doing. uh, It speaks volumes to what this guy brings to this team. I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, our own Adam Ballou because I look back at the bold predictions um, that we made at the beginning of the season. And one of his bold predictions was that Mitch Moreland was going to hit 30 home runs and get 100 RBI this season. And he's got 12 home runs and 41 RBI. We're not even the all-star break. So that can actually come true, which was a really bold prediction because 30 and 100 is quite a bit. And he could do it. That's exciting. I love when bold predictions are, like, getting close to right. or especially like right around Even the close to coming like, right, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah like, He's almost halfway to thirty, so it is, and he's almost and halfway almost to one hundred. Yep, <laughs> it's it's very possible, and it's for Mitch Moreland do it. Like I said, that's a very bold prediction. I, I I don't think anybody would ever think that that would happen. Well, I think no one expected him to play this much. You know, like he wasn't supposed to be on the field this much, and every time he's been on the field, it's been a lot more than we thought. But he's getting the opportunity, and he and he's taking advantage of it. So, thank you, Princess Hanley. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he needs to get over himself. But there you go. Uh, recap for the week that is a courtesy of Jess and, of course, our friends at SeatGeek. Our opening segment and his, of course, wonderful recap was powered by SeatGeek Ticketing App, the smartest and easiest way to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. You guys know the drill. You can get a $20 rebate on your first purchase by downloading the free SeatGeek app. And you just go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, enter that code. We always tell you about it. it's Garden Report, all one word. 
for that $20 rebate. So SeatGeek will know who sent you. Great stuff going on. Red Sox are in full swing. Uh, use the SeatGeek app to get into those games where you might want to save a couple bucks. Well, you can do that with the rebate. So Garden Report, add the settings tab to click that baby in there. $20 rebate coming your way on your first purchase. So check it out if you haven't already. Obviously, friends of the show. And, guys, we kind of talked about it a little bit um, with the start and how we pitched, and we didn't want to really tease it too much. But now we're going to talk about it because I was intrigued by this. Um, I saw it when I was on. I was talking with a customer in my day job, and I, I fre- almost freaked out on the phone. Like, I really liked the Doug Fister signing because we all know that the starting rotation isn't a huge problem, but like there is some depth issues. But this isn't. A, they didn't. No one had to trade for him. No one had to spend too much money, and you still have the assets to go get the real need in the bullpen or a third base guy. But you added a nice starter in Doug Fister, who has had a pretty successful career, and um, if you put him in a winning atmosphere, he clearly can still pitch. So. That part of the signing, I really love. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I was, I was, it was right before the game on Friday, um, and I was sitting at Beerworks, and I get the the notification that we claimed Fister, and I was like, huh. I was like, of all people, I would. I mean, I didn't really know that. I had no idea anything like this was coming, and of course, I we know that it came out the Red Sox are looking to kind of shake things up within the next six weeks, but I wasn't thinking starting pitching. I wasn't really thinking pitching at all. So for them to come out and sign Fister, who obviously has had a successful career and, you know, he, he's worked with Dombrowski before out in Detroit. So we know that they have a good relationship. Dombrowski knows what Fister's capable of. He's seen him firsthand. So he knew what he was getting with him. And I think it's a great signing. Obviously it's proved in the, at least through the first start that, it's successful. Hopefully it can continue into the all-star break after the all-star break. And this guy can, I think this guy can be a legitimate pitcher. Yeah, I love it. I mean, he's been, he's been a pretty solid pitcher and he's pitched in several different places. This is the, the Boston is now his uh, fifth team and he's had good seasons with basically every team he's pitched with. He's at five, 10 plus win seasons. He's at 11, 10, 14, 16 and 12. So Pretty solid career for him. He's exactly 500 in his career, 77 and 77. He's got a 360 ERA. He's run seven complete games. Like he's a, definitely a proven pitcher. He's 33 years old, so he might be in the other other end of it. But for a guy you can just claim off waivers to get here and 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 pitch like he has potential to pitch. And we saw it in his first start, pretty pretty solid first outing. I, mean, I think it's great, smart move. Didn't expect it either. I didn't I didn't know it was coming, but to have another Dombrowski guy and that can never hurt. Uh, he's had some. Nebraska's got some good pitchers in his career, and you got Porcello, and you got you got Fister, and everything. So I love it. I think it's a great move. I don't see how it can hurt in any way. And uh, if it doesn't work out, then whatever. You just claim them off waivers. And the nice thing about it too is, I thought about it and realized, okay, it's a short-term pitching depth. It's not the answer to the farm system problem, which you start. You can start and draft and replenish your starting pitching because you know Henry Owens was just demoted to Double A. We'll talk about that, but. You know, which is awful in itself, but you know they they had some short term depth issues with some injuries, things like that. Stephen Wright obviously off of the year, uh, Erod's health, things like that. It's a good stopgap, and if he adds, if he if all he does is add a chance to add some depth till people get back, great. If not, if he pitches well, now you have a solid starter who's been there for a good, couple good teams and can help you out. And that, and that's something that's going to be invaluable if this team wants to win a division, make the playoffs, whatever it may be. Um, this guy's only going to help. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I love bringing in a proven guy, a veteran. I mean, you can't have enough veterans on teams. They're good, valuable. You know, they, they've been through it before. Like, you have as many good young players as you want, but if you don't have veteran voices in there to tell them how, how it's been, like, to get to that point, then, you know, that that's always super helpful. So to add a 33-year-old dude who's who's been through a lot of years with several different teams, it can never hurt. And he's 6'8", too. Man, he's huge. Yeah, it's crazy. The large human. Yes, the large human, indeed. The large human. <laughs> um, one other guy, they, the Red Sox did sign another Dombrowski guy, believe it or not, uh, Johnny Peralta, the veteran, 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 uh, shortstop, third baseman, second baseman, whatever you want. He's a utility guy. But um, they did sign him. He, him and Pablo Sandoval both were going to Pawtucket tonight, I believe, to start rehab assignments or assignments, whatever you want to call it for him. It was a minor league deal. Um, what are your guys' initial thoughts on bringing in Johnny Peralta before I go? I mean, I think this is 
just showing how little faith they have in Pablo Sandoval and the fact that Peralta and Pablo are going to be kind of alternating between third base during this rehab assignment kind of makes me think that it's more like a competition kind of going on who's going to get called up after this assignment's done. I don't, I really think this puts a lot of pressure on Panda because he's the $95 million third baseman who just can't seem to get it together. He's injured. He's unhealthy. He's this, he's that. So I think it's, at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, it's a competition. Like when Travis Shaw was here and it was between them two essentially. And obviously Shaw got the, the start over Sandoval. So I think it's kind of that situation all over again. Yeah. You shouldn't need to have a competition when you have Sandoval because he should be better than he is. And you've gone through so many different third basemen and you still need to sign a 35 year old Peralta who's played 15 seasons. Like my God, shouldn't be necessary, but you know, he's had a really good career. He's got 202 career homers. He's got a, a solid uh, 267 average. You know, he's he's definitely a guy that could help out. He's a very good doubles hitter. He's always been always been good at doubles. So, I mean, who knows if he has any left in the tank. But if he can show that he does, and he can actually get a proven third baseman who doesn't suck, then I'm all for it. I mean, shoot, why not? It's just like Fister. They're both, you know, 33 and 35 years old. But it can certainly help your team and, this team clearly needs third base help, which is sad, but it is a reality. Yeah, overall, I I love I think I love the Johnny Peralta as like a very minor signing, obviously, because you know, like you said, Lauren, it, it's a competition at this point, and, and yes, you touched on it too. It's they need to kick Panda's rear end a little bit here and get him going, which is sad. But I ultimately see Johnny Peralta coming up and playing third base. He could be your third baseman the rest of the year because this is a way for the Red Sox to stopgap the problem of Pablo and at the same time give them the ability to still win now while not pushing people up too early. They don't need to bring Devers up. Marrero may not be ready. He can go back down if Peralta works out. So kicking the tires on Peralta makes sense because now it puts everybody back in place, at least for this year, because who knows, Devers could be ready after this year is over, if not in September. So at least now... If Peralta can be even a shell of what he was in his prime, it's a decent defensive third baseman, doubles hitter. It's then way you'll live that till you die, if you don't put the ball in the air. And, you know, you have a chance to win something with a guy like that and a veteran presence in the locker room. Yeah, there's really nothing bad that can come of it. It's another veteran guy who's had a good career, and he's a Dombrowski guy. It's it's funny how similar those two were, and... I was I was definitely excited for both for both signs and plus I mean J H O A N N Y Jahani I mean what's better than that Jahani Parata Jahani Parata I always <laughs> loved that Jahani <laughs> uh, I love it yeah it's great it's, it, you never I always spelled it wrong because everyone did um, okay so those are two moves he made that you know make sense they're low risk high reward signings which is awesome for this team they need something like that um, before we talk about um, we want to talk about the feral ejection from Saturday, but I, it's kind of an easy transition to Sonny Gray rumors that are coming up. So I've always been an advocate for Sonny Gray. Like Jess can tell you, even before Lauren came on the show and even while Lauren's been on the show, I've been such a huge advocate for the Red Sox trading for this guy. And now apparently the Red Sox are rumored to be interested. My question to you two is, now that this is actually a thing and could potentially be a thing, is it worth Dombrowski trading for Sonny Gray, especially now that Fister's on this team? when you need other places to be filled? I mean, I can see why they want to go after him. Um, I he He's not a rental, right? Like, his contract, he, his contract he's, he's under control for a few more seasons after, if he gets traded, right? Like yeah. Not just be not a, a rental. rental. So that kind of, I mean, that part is kind of what raises a lot of question marks for me because you have people, you know, Stephen Wright's obviously out for the year. Rodriguez, we're not really sure what's going on with him. You just signed Fister. You have people getting demoted in the minors, and then you have Brian Johnson pitching well. So, I mean, pitching isn't starting pitching really isn't what they need to put their focus on. And I know Jared, I know you love Sonny Gray. I love Sonny Gray. I think he'd be great here. But the thing is, is you know he hasn't been he has he's been up and down nine times out of ten. He's a good pitcher. But and he's a right-hander. I know we're left-handed heavy, so I do like that he's right-handed. I just have a lot of question marks surrounding this. Like I'm very unsure about it. 
And I know there's been rumors about us signing him before even this season. So I don't, at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to happen. It's, it's a nice thought, but he's just not needed in this rotation right now. Yeah, I don't want him. Uh, he's had two pretty crappy seasons. He was 5-11 and 11 with a 5.69 ERA last year, and he's 3-3 three and three with a 4.45 ERA this year. I know Oakland's not a good team, but like those are bad ERAs, and he's clearly not the same pitcher as he used to be in his first three seasons where he was really good. He's just not as good anymore. He's injury-prone. He's been injured several times. So between that and the fact that you just got Fister and you have some other really good pitchers, yeah, I don't think it should be the top priority, and... I don't really want another injury-prone pitcher on my team, to be honest with you. And seeing his numbers the last two years, I think I'll pass. Yeah, I've been going back and forth because he's pitching better as of late and names there. And, you know, being on a crap team does affect performance even when you are healthy. So I say no. I, You know, like as much as I would love Sonny Gray on this team, at this point I think it's more of a name. And, I mean, that's what Dombrowski does. He gets the names. But... You need something else. You know, it's still in those reports, it's still saying the Red Sox are seeking that guy who can be a, a back third baseman combo. Maybe Peralta turns into that. Who knows? But, you know, there are other bigger holes on this team to fill that don't involve needing to trade your a crap ton for a starting pitcher that you don't even know what you're going to get. So, as much as I love Sonny Gray, he can stay in Oakland. Um, and, and I think that moving forward, it doesn't make sense when you have a guy when you have holes like that plus a bullpen arm because you don't know what you're going to get from Carson Smith. He just started throwing again. Is he going to be healthy? Can he come back and do what he's supposed to do and be your eighth inning guy? You don't know that. They need to trade for an, another bullpen arm. So Sunday Gray's would be fun and be awesome, but it's not a priority. Well, it's very mature of you to uh, to love him in the past and still be okay with not getting him now. That's that's good, Jared. Yeah, I'm growing up. You know. When one gets engaged, you have to grow up a little bit, right? Um, That's right. Got to grow up at some point. So someone who didn't, apparently didn't want to grow up is John Farrell. So I'm going to let Lauren talk about this because she really wanted to talk about it. So, uh, Lauren, let's just talk about the Farrell ejection on Saturday. Oh, my God. I absolutely loved it. I loved it so much <laughs> just because I know we talked a little bit about it in, the, in our group chat, too, because there aren't many opportunities lately for managers to just kind of lose their minds over – botched calls because with you know review and instant replay this and that it's it's hard you can sit there and argue but you don't have that chance to lose your mind and this was an absolute bs call i don't understand where the balk is i i just it was stupid and a big screw you to everybody who says john farrell doesn't stick up for his players because he was just absolutely down this guy's throat i thought there's gonna be some serious makeout sessions going on here there was just absolute mayhem like Farrell just absolutely lost his mind and I don't know if it was just like pent-up frustration from anything else that was going on or if it was just from this specific call because it was it was absolutely ridiculous I had my grandmother yelling at the tv then Farrell was yelling everywhere so it was just it was good and I loved it because I love I'm a Farrell person I will vouch for Farrell any day of the week so to see him come out there and really just stand up for something that he obviously thought was wrong and to stick up for his players was just was perfect i absolutely loved it and i i wish we saw more of it especially lately just not from Farrell, but from any manager i love when managers freak out i love when they get ejected because once they get ejected they just don't care what comes out of their mouths anymore they just keep going and i love that Farrell kept going and it was a good like three minute thing going on so loved it I'll, i will watch it again and again and again I did watch it again and again and again. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. And then the crowd cheered him, too, after it, after he went back to the dugout, which was great because a lot of people don't like him. And to get a nice big John Farrell cheer was just awesome. But, yeah, it was a great ejection. I mean, they were they were going at it right in each other's faces. You know, we were watching it, and it was basically like, nom, 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 because they were, they were nomming all over each other. They were about an inch from each other's mouths, and they were like, they had their head turned the same way and everything, too. It was It was a great great thing and it was funny too because he got in the argument with bill miller who wasn't even the open umpire who called it he was third base manager uh, umpire in that game so but Farrell didn't want to deal with ryan blakeney so he said i'm going right over to bill miller and i'm gonna get right in his face and funny enough i saw on twitter after the game that's the third time that bill miller has ejected john farrell in his career and farrell doesn't really get ejected that often so uh, something about bill miller and maybe he said something that set farrell off in addition to the horrendous ball call so it was great 
really, really enjoyed it. It was a great time. It was probably the best part of that game, to be honest with you. So that made it even better. And yeah, I said that in the chat that we were talking about. You don't, you don't get that anymore because all they do is stand on the top step, hold their hand out, and say, "Hold on, wait, I'm going to see if my video guy thinks I should review the call." <laughs> they don't get, to, they don't get to run out there. Kissing them and everything. So this was this was a very very great argument. I thoroughly enjoyed every second of it. Yeah, he he was really really pissed off. Like he went to town on Bill Miller, <laughs> and obviously the call is bad. We know the call is bad. So I give John Farr all the credit in the world to not stopping because I mean once you're ejected, you're ejected, right? You can't really do much worse. So um, at that point, and that's what Lou Pinella made a career off of was you know once you're out, you're out. So just do it. Just go nuts. Whatever. Go, and go all, all in. Exactly. So I, I support 100%. I thought it was fantastic. I've watched it multiple times, too. Um, and <laughs> it, it, you can't get enough of it. It's going to be something that we're going to watch at the end of the year and go, guys, remember that? Oh, yeah, we just watched it last week. That's right. Yeah. It, it, it's phenomenal. It's something that's going to be talked about for a little while now because, you know, John Farrell's criticized for not having his players' backs and, and not having passion and that, that sort of stuff. And seeing something like this... It's nice to see because, you know, you, you see all this. We, a lot of us crap on John Farrell. I know you two don't, but a lot of people do. And it's nice to see that he actually is defending his players and as bad as the call was. Um, it's nice to see. That's for sure. I was watching Around the Horn today, and they uh, one of their categories was the ejection, and they, they loved it. They thought it was great. They said A-plus ejection doesn't happen much anymore so i guess mostly it doesn't matter like what happened it's the fact that it doesn't happen much anymore and that he just went right at him right in his face oh it's great (laughs) (laughs) oh man all right so that's all the red Sox we'll get to almost time to get out of here before we get to predictions um and we do have a little bit of an announcement for next week as well um, I just told these two about it before we came on air so (laughs) not much further behind them that they'll they'll, you guys will find out but um one thing I want to talk about that's really around the league, and there's a lot of stuff going on, um, is the Keith Lockhart story. His son is on life support. He was hit in the face by baseball. He's 15 years old. Basically, what happened was um, he had stepped on home plate, and the catcher was throwing the ball, and it hit him in the face by accident. Um, just, guys, it's kind of a, a really, really tragic story. Um, for a kid who's only 15, to be on life support for something like this, it's just it's not good. Yeah, it's it's a wild story too because you know they brought him in for you know he fractured his nose and he had other you know lacerations of course from getting hit in the face with a baseball but then I guess after the surgery his nose just started like uncontrollably bleeding and they were fearing it was coming from his brain so that was obviously very scary but I think they got it under control and they realized it was coming from his nose nonetheless like you're 15 years old you're doing what you love you're having fun and a freak accident happens like that could happen in the major leagues that can happen to anyone so i i hope this has a very happy ending um i know i think his sister is posting updates and he looked you know in you know he had his hands up and he was looking at the camera so that's that's positive and i hope that obviously he has a full recovery from this and i hope once he does recover that he goes back and plays baseball i hope it doesn't steer him in the wrong direction I hope I'm not the only person who thought that this was Keith Lockhart, the conductor, and not Keith Lockhart, the baseball player. <laughs> Coming from your family, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I was a Keith Lockhart, what? So it's actually the, the baseball player, but yeah, this is this is weird. It's you know these these freak things where you, they, you just never know what could happen. Like you're going, you're stepping on home plate, and all of a sudden you have a ball in your face, and you're in the hospital. Like it's crazy, very strange. So I hope, as Lawrence said, I hope it's a happy ending. Hopefully they can keep it under control and get him back in gear and uh because that's terrifying and to be that young and to have it be something freak like that it's just wild yeah it's it, it, when i saw it it was just kind of taking it back because it's it's such a freak thing and little things like that you don't really understand why things happen so obviously best to him and hopefully he does come back from this and doesn't like lauren said you don't want someone who probably loves the game of baseball to be ter- deterred from something like this i can't imagine It'd be easy to get him back on the field right away, but that being said, obviously we all send our best wishes to the family and everything, obviously, but just kind of ridiculous the way that happened. Um, and one other thing, super opposite, lighthearted note I wanted to just get your two take on is Tim Tebow being promoted. It's a complete 180 for what we just talked about, but um, Tim Tebow got promoted. He's hitting like two something. Um, 
just a continuation of the marketing gimmick. Yeah, maybe he's found his calling in life is to be a single-A, semi-pro baseball player, once quarterback kind of guy. But I don't really know. I mean, it's it's fun to follow his story. I, I have nothing against this guy. I think he's just essentially I, I, he seems like a really, really good guy. And it's just, it's fun to follow it just because he's had such a weird career. You know, he's really good in Florida, and then he comes up, and he just can't really find his way in the NFL because he just gets screwed over by teams. And then he's an analyst, and then all of a sudden he's playing baseball. Like, this guy can do it all. So he's just been fun to watch. Yeah, I still have trouble picturing him playing baseball professionally, so I don't think it's going to last very long. But, hey, good for him for getting promoted. Yay, Tim Tebow. <laughs> I'm thrilled uh, about it if you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to give my opinion. It's just it's just for stupid. But I wanted to see what you guys thought because I know us baseball purists think it's ridiculous that he's even gone on the team. Never mind getting promoted through the ranks of a minor league system or probably taking a spot from some other kid. But that being said, um, let's get to the predictions before we get out of here. Um, this week, four against Minnesota, three against Toronto. Minnesota's home, Toronto's on the road. We did make these predictions before the game happened, so we'll take that with a grain of salt. Um, first series against the Twins started tonight. We talked about the first game. Uh, Jess, what do you have going on with the Twins series? Yeah, I got winning three out of four. Um, they're a pretty good team. They're 39 and 35, but I like I like how the Sox are playing right now. Um, overall, you know, obviously the the tough week last week was was mostly the lack of offense, but I think they'll turn it around again. Um, it is weird, though. The Twins are 16-25 and 25 at home and 23-10 and 10 on the road. They were 23-9 and nine coming into tonight, so they got a pretty good thing going here on the road, and obviously they are on the road this series, but the Sox do have a better record by a couple of games, so I like being back at home and uh, against against the team, a couple of games over 500. I like... I like three out of four. I think that's fair, and especially after winning tonight, I feel a little better about that. I'm right there with you. I'm going three out of four, too. I just think, you know, after two bad losses to the Angels, they're just kind of going to rally around that, and especially we're not we're getting closer and closer to the All-Star break, and we're getting in that, that fight for first. So I think it's the bats are going to come alive. I think Moreland's really going to really do well this series, so... I think three, three out of four. I really wanted to pick a sweep, but I every time I picked a sweep this season, it's gone horrendously wrong. So I'm sticking <laughs> with three out of four. I'll do it for you, Lauren. Bring out the broomsticks, people. They're sweeping the Twins. It's happening. Um, no, wow. I, I I just think that they they played so bad against the Angels in regards to they shouldn't have lost either of those games. It's just, it's just they shouldn't have lost the Angels. They're going to make up for it. I think tonight was a good start um, in that process, of course. But that being said, I, I think. You're playing well um, after tonight. I think you, you have those bounce-back weeks, especially after weeks that aren't great. And, um, and now you're really in that battle for first place. You've climbed yourself back into it. These are the kind of weeks that, you know, like you said, you're, you're getting closer to that all-star break. These are the weeks where now you're starting to play two pretty good teams. Take advantage of that. Work hard, play hard, and take advantage of seeing some competition and, and elevating your game to where it needs to be to beat these guys. I think you're a better team than the Twins on paper, and I think you're a better team than the Twins on the field, and I think you're going to see it with a sweep. Um, I know it sounds crazy coming from me, but I, it's what I'm going with. Um, and then against the Jays, before these guys go, I have them winning two out of three against the Jays. They can't get out of their own way right now. Um, and they're just not the team that they've been, and I don't know what's going on, but... They're going to take two out of three from the Jays, and overall, hopefully, I'm right, uh, six and one week for the Red Sox in my eyes. Yep, they're definitely taking two out of three from the Jays. I don't see them. I don't see them losing any more than one. I just think the Jays are not doing well this year. They're fifth in the AL East, so I think two out of three is reasonable. Like I said again, I, I would love to pick a sweep, but I'm just avoiding that. So for a nice five and two week. And it's going to be, they're going to take over first place. This is the week they're going to take over first place solely for like until the All Star break. Mm, nice. Yeah, I'm losing two out of three to the Blue Jays. Um, you know, on the road, the Blue Jays are a couple games under 500. Really, I'm just bitter about predicting a really good week last week and having it be exactly the opposite. So after playing well against the Twins and they come back down to earth against the Jays, lose a couple games, still a four and three week. Maybe that's good enough for first place. I don't know, but I don't have a great feeling about that series for some reason. So I'm going lose two out of three, four and three. (sighs) 
why am I the positive one? Like, what is this, guys? What are you guys doing? I've I've tried Jared, but they didn't they didn't pan out last week. That's true. They they didn't. You you do try to be positive, and it doesn't work out. So, um, there's your show for the week. I I did kind of tease a, a minor announcement. Um, we are going to be partnering with a kind of like a back and forth with. Uh, our new friends at 27 Outs Baseball. If you haven't checked them out on Twitter at 27 underscore Outs Baseball. Um, basically, they're a minor league podcast network. They, they do a lot of minor league baseball work. Um, Chris Hogan is the connection that we have there. He used to be on CLNS. But that being said, next week, Chris Hogan and maybe his partner will be joining us on the show talking uh, Red Sox, of course. Maybe the perspective of the minor leagues versus um the Red Sox and things like that, and we'll get into that. And then uh, we'll one of us or two of us will hop on the show with them and do like kind of a collaboration. So uh, stay tuned for more details on that information and things like that. But uh, we're excited that the 27 Outs Baseball and us are going to do some work together uh, starting next week on next week's show. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, check them out on Twitter, of course. We're at Red Sox underscore Beat. Um, Facebook, us both, Red Sox Beat Podcast, 27 Outs Baseball. Um, it's going to be kind of a sweet little situation. I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great to be partnered with them, get some minor league baseball along with our major league baseball because obviously minor league talent turns into major league talent, so I think that's a really <laughs> cool thing. Yeah, I'm excited. It'll be fun. I'm going to talk to Brian Johnson, so get yeah. ready. Yeah, and some Henry <laughs> Owen and see what's going on with that crap. Um, yes. but, but that being said, uh, that's the show in the books, of course. Don't forget, brought to you by our good friends at SeatGeek. Don't forget the Garden Report app in the uh, settings tab. Get the $20 rebate. Um... We're on Twitter, like I said, at Red Sox underscore Beat. Facebook is Red Sox Beat Podcast. Go follow CLNS at CLNS Media. Uh, the YouTube channel, the app, everything is going crazy. The new website's going to be live soon. Uh, so definitely check that out as we're rebranding and getting crazy coverage for the Red Sox and everything in between. So um, until next week, for Lauren Campbell and Jess Thomas, I am Jared Scally. We'll be back next week with 27 Outs Baseball. Until then, enjoy the month. Enjoy uh, Red Sox. <laughs>